Hey, What Works listeners. Over the next few weeks, I've got something a wee bit different for you. The quick backstory is that Sean and I have been kicking around ideas for media projects that we could collaborate on. And for now, we've landed on what I'll tentatively call an experimental media project. It's experimental in that we're not committing to any one medium or even a specific value proposition. Because why not? So today I'm bringing you the first edition of Cold Pitch, a project that explores media curiosity and identity. And this first edition is about little c, little p, cold pitches. Because we see a lot of those things. And we have thoughts. Next week, we're talking about our favorite daily YouTube show. And after that, we're talking about the fear of loathing when it comes to making media online. Now, each of these conversations is totally in the What Works wheelhouse. We're just coming at ideas about work and business from a more oblique angle. If you want to follow along with this experiment, you can find Cold Pitch at coldpitch.substack.com and subscribe free of charge. And now, without further ado, I present the first edition of Cold Pitch. A funny thing happens after you start a podcast. Your inbox fills up with pitches, emails from people or their publicists trying to get on your show. You might open the first few and marvel at your good fortune that someone you don't know has listened to your show and thought it worthy of their attention. Someone wants to be on my baby podcast, you might think to yourself. But little by little, you realize that these emails have a strangely similar flavor. That flavor? Utter irrelevance. Must be weird. One minute, you're the most special person in the universe. The next minute, you're nobody. This is Cold Pitch where we explore media, curiosity, and identity. I'm Tara McMullen, a writer, podcaster, and producer. I'm Sean McMullen, podcast producer, coach, artist. And we're the founders of Yellow House Media, an audio production agency. A cold pitch is any attempt to sway someone you don't know and have no connection to into doing something that benefits you. And in the world of podcasting, it means email after email after email from people trying to get on your show. So we have a client Mm -hmm. who does a podcast, Ecosystems for Change, which is about economic development in rural rural America specifically. And... She didn't even get it. I got it. It was directed towards her, but it didn't even go to her. Anyway, I got a email from a firm representing a man, former actor, who now has a men's hair growth product. This is where the idea for Cold Pitch 
podcast, newsletter, etc. came from. And in that, it said, listen to your show, love it. We believe that our client's story of entrepreneurship was just the perfect fit for your podcast and your audience, which has benefits so much from it. And it was men's hair regrowth product and a economic development in rural America podcast. No connection whatsoever. So that's like, that's just one example of like notoriously bad. We're not here to say that cold pitching is bad, ineffective, or unethical. What we're interested in today is why a frequent, perfectly normal social interaction has morphed into something so mind-numbingly bleak in this particular sphere. Because frankly, we make cold pitches all the time. Let's say I'm in the grocery store and I physically walk up to a person that has no idea who I am. How do you approach a complete stranger to achieve something? Being able to take the temperature of that person to be able to read them successfully so that you can actually adapt your pitch to get what you want out of them. And it sounds all sort of like uh, um, acquisitional, acquisitional, exchange. uh, Transactional? Transactional, yes. The word is transactional. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's not, I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you're in the grocery store and you don't know where the mustard is. And so you walk up to another, uh, shopper and you ask that person, do they know where the mustard is? Someone who's, it's not their job to do it. That approach is completely different to than the person who it's their job to help you find the mustard. Just the other day we were in Whole Foods in the potato chip section and um, a, a woman, probably my height, uh, said to you, you're a tall fellow. <laughs> and you knew instantly, as did I, that what she needed was way up on the tall shelf that I could have never reached and she could have never reached. I knew it before she even asked. Right, right. Because you're paying attention to your environment. Yes. So there's a very organic interaction where sure, she was thinking about how do I ask this person, you know, in a split second thinking about this and coming up with the very adorable, you're a tall fellow. But then... But let me interrupt. What was really yeah. interesting about that situation was is that I ended up not being the one that helped her. True. There was another dude, my height, cruising down the aisle who happened to be closer, who she wasn't even looking at, did it without consulting anybody, just did it. And so there was this other additional, there was like, that was a very interesting social exchange. Our interactions happen at all sorts of levels, verbal, nonverbal, environmental, cultural. In this situation, the cold pitch was as much in the other shopper's body language as it was in her verbal request. It also occurred in an environment where just about everyone you share space with has needed help to find or grab something before. Without realizing it, we're primed to notice when other people need help in the grocery store. Now your inbox? Well, your inbox is a completely different set of variables. 
Researchers studying the psychology of email put it this way in the journal Helion. Quote, Email communication is a type of virtual communication with specific characteristics. It is a form of written communication. It is asynchronous. It generates the so-called thread automatically generated by the computer program. Email does not include face-to-face communication and thus the capacity to develop a sense of connection. Shared knowledge and trust are distorted due to the lack of interpersonal cues and may become a problem. An email inbox is a communication environment in which many disparate messages arrive in unpredictable ways. Software notifications, sales messages, family dispatches, work or school announcements, project communication. Now at one time, you've got mail. You received an email from a select group of people, the people who actually had your email address, coworkers, friends, family. But over the last 30 years, our inboxes became the focal point of all of our written communication. What used to show up as physical junk mail shows up virtually by an order of magnitude more. Plus, there's all the receipts, notifications, subscriptions, and other paper trail items we sift through to figure out what we actually have to respond to. Now, for podcasters, there's another layer compounding the problem. Our email addresses are, for the most part, embedded into the public RSS feeds that make our podcasts work. Pitch farms and PR agencies can scrape those email addresses in mass and automate their email outreach. Media scholar Dana Boyd coined the term context collapse to describe the environment of social media sites. On a social media site, you make a post and it's delivered to people you're connected with in a multitude of different ways. Your message will be received differently by your parent, your high school buddies, your current co-workers, and your exes. You craft the message in a way that makes sense to the most people, which fundamentally changes the message. The contexts collapse, and you're not able to say what you really wanted to say. An inbox suffers from a related, if nearly opposite, problem. Let's call it a context explosion. Instead of the sender translating their message through the many contexts it might be received in, many diverse contexts bombard the receiver, even as many of the messages were written specifically to them. To maintain any sense of focus in the onslaught of contexts, the receiver sort of floats above their inbox, processing rather than communicating, triaging rather than connecting. As a result, we experience our inboxes at a psychosocial remove. On top of the distance we already experience due to email's asynchronicity and lack of nonverbal cues. All that to say, the inbox is a weird social environment. Hi. Um, does this seem weird? Despite the fact that it's one we spend so much time in. And so I'm thinking for me how do we approach a cold pitch is always sort of, I think about it in the real world, flesh, meat, 
world of how do you approach a stranger and even start a conversation with them. And I think that a lot of the lessons that we know from that place and that experience can be applied to the way that we do quote unquote cold pitches in the digital uh-huh. world. And most people don't. They don't take the lessons that they know. Well, they, I think that they do, but in a in a super distorted way, right? So like, let's back up for a minute and actually talk about the kind of cold pitches that we receive on the podcasting end of things, because they're highly artificial artifacts of the kinds of interactions that you're describing, right? Like I'm regularly flabbergasted by the complete crap that winds up in my inbox. In that, I've been doing this for a long time now. Um, You know, it'll be, or it is, it's, I'm past my eight year mark of podcasting. I've gotten thousands of these things, maybe tens of thousands of these things over the years. Um, I know when the first sentence or two is an outright lie, not a lie as in a social nicety, but like a straight up lie. I listened to your last episode and it was so great. Bullshit. You did never listen to my podcast. I'm such a fan of your show and everyone in the office is too. Bullshit. Bullshit. You have never listened to my podcast. No. And it's really interesting to me. There's something interesting about the medium of the cold pitch that that kind of statement would even be relevant or necessary or considered valuable in one way or another and has the opposite effect for me anyway, um, and I know for a lot of other people, of why it's there in the first place. It's there to butter me up. It's there to give the pitch credibility. And it does the opposite. As soon as I read that sentence, it's deleted. Yep. You do not finish that. You do not finish it. it. Oh, yeah. This is malarkey. Herein lies the problem. If the medium is the message, as Marshall McLuhan stated, and the medium of the cold pitch is one that provokes skepticism, cynicism, and eye-rolling frustration, then what does that say about the cold pitch being a form through which we represent ourselves and our work? What can we learn about how we perceive ourselves that this is the form we choose to use? Everything that we've described uh, so far in terms of cold pitching is awful. Um, (laughs) But also, like, I think the question of what does this mean? What does this say about us? About how we view our value? How we see our place in the broader economy? How the things that we create are predicated on these transactional relationships. I think that question kind of blasts through the binary of whether it's a good cold pitch or a bad cold pitch or an ethical cold pitch or an unethical cold pitch. And those questions are really interesting to me. So I think in light of that, if we're talking about quote unquote, good cold pitching or ethical cold pitching or values-based cold pitching, 
I think we have to ask first and foremost, how do I want to represent myself to someone I don't know? Mm. And there are plenty of different ways to do that, I think, in a way that's genuine and honest and still effective. But if if the medium is the message, mm. if this is a way of communicating our identity and what we have to offer, what we have to contribute to someone else's creative project, how do we want to represent ourselves? Yeah, I like where you're going with this. That That's where I went with it for now. Yeah, because if we allow the medium to be our message before that, that email actually gets read, so before the message is actually read, if we are allowing that medium to represent us, then it's pretty bleak. But I think it's representative of how people think about themselves in the economic sphere, right? We think about ourselves as either someone who has something of value to say or not, someone who is worthy of being on so-and-so's podcast or not, someone who has something to offer of economic value to an audience. It's not like this medium is bleak and it doesn't represent how we're out there thinking about ourselves and our work. No, it's bleak because it's a perfect representation of, of how we are encouraged to think of ourselves and our work. In the paper on the psychology of email that I mentioned earlier, the researchers instructed participants on how to become more aware of the sensory, bodily, and mental experiences associated with processing email. They were also instructed to notice the experience of interconnectedness with those they were emailing with. Are you reading my mind right now? Now, while the study itself was quite limited, the results were promising. The intention to cultivate multi-layered social attention when processing email helped people shift their behavior and emotions. By noticing their own feelings and motivations, the participants were better able to practice perspective-taking in a way that established a social space between sender and receiver that was more akin to an in-person interaction. They were able to focus on the appropriate context of an individual email. Or, I might say, that the researchers taught these participants to operate like an autistic person when they open their inboxes. Instead of relying on pseudo-instinctual social interpretation, the researchers made participants conscious of the ways they were interpreting the social space. And that is exactly how I move through the world every day. Now, to bring it back around... The cold pitch, specifically the kind of cold pitch that starts with a blatant lie or half-assed compliment, crosses our social interpretation wires. You're presented with a message that aims to create a shared social space, but instead does the opposite. You read a message that sounds personal and complimentary, only to realize it's neither personal nor complimentary in any real way. You feel seen and heard for a split second before realizing your podcast is just another line in a publicist's spreadsheet. Now, why the hell would you want to do that to someone? 
Lest you think all cold pitching is the work of nefarious psychological manipulation, we want to talk about a counterintuitive approach that can work. Some of the cold pitches we receive are little more than a traditional press release. So on one hand, we have the cold pitch that is salesy mass email that purports to be a personal email. And on the other, there are the PR agencies that are sending press releases. And I have said yes to far more press releases than I have cold pitches. And so I think that maybe is an interesting compare and contrast in terms of media. The cold pitch is a medium that I am skeptical of, that I find inherently untrustworthy, that I am all too ready to completely write off when they land in my inbox, versus a press release, which is a very in its own way, a very honest medium. It doesn't right? pretend they, to be something that it's not. Yeah, I mean, they do and they don't. Like, the, And we could debate that. But for the most part, yes. When you say, I've got a press release, it connotes that you are promoting something, that you have something that you believe is newsworthy and you think I should think it's newsworthy, right? That's right out on the surface. And often those emails from PR agencies start with something as simple as, you know, um, so-and-so who wrote the book, blah, 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 is available for interviews. Or the host of such-and-such show is available for interviews. I know immediately what you're trying for. Like, there's no pretext to it. I might have zero interest in that person. It might not be a good fit for my show. But I'm not forced to go through this weird small talk. Now, sure, the press release content is going to be written in a way to make the object of the release as enticing as possible. It might be embellished, or it might just be super polished. But the medium is honest. It's just an announcement, plain and simple. And because of the press release's directness, I don't go through the dizzying experience of trying to parse its social meaning. So what I find really interesting... I have not thought about this until this conversation, but what I'm finding interesting is that we're talking about removing a layer of pretext from these communications that I, as an autistic person, would equate to a level of pretext in human-to-human conversation that I find incredibly difficult and uh, impenetrable in many ways. And so uh, where my mind goes in sort of a funny way, not in a completely serious way, is like, be a little bit more autistic in the way you pitch a podcast. Like, drop the pretext. Yeah. So explain this to me, though. So if you're talking, let's stick with the grocery store thing. As an autistic person, how do you approach that without pretext? I think perhaps if I needed something at a store, well, one, I would be very unlikely to ask. But two, (laughs) I would ask directly, right? Like I would find a person that I 
uh, could trust would help me, generally an employee, um, and say, hey, I'm looking for blah, 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 or can you tell me about this, or can you show me that, right? There's no, I don't have any need to talk to them about the weather first or to compliment their shoes. No, no, right, 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 right. But that's exactly what people do when they cold pitch. You look great. You want to come on to my show to talk about microeconomics? <laughs> and it just, it just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a book that I read a few months ago. I think it's called The Autist. And I have some complaints about the book, but the author has a very, is very kind of fixated in a, in a way that I can very much relate to with the ways that non-autistic people tend to um, obfuscate in conversation. They don't say what they really mean. And whereas with a lot of autistic people, information is information. I'm going to give you the information, whether that's like hard data or hard facts or just my need um, without that extra layer of stuff. It's interesting you should go there because also I was thinking about my own tendencies in conversation to sort of buffer in anticipation for someone else's reaction response Mm -hmm. as opposed to along what you're saying, just present the information and allow that person to make their own, come to their own conclusions or reactions. And so I have been working very hard in my personal life to remove that though that element of what can be construed as manipulation and control issues where you're trying to control someone else's emotional reaction to what you're saying as opposed to just saying what I want, saying what I need and letting it land and identifying that the other person's reaction is out of my control. And I think that there's something to be said for that with these cold pitches, with sending someone an email, identifying that the attempt at controlling their response, not only is it counterproductive, it's manipulative, it's controlling, it's it's, blah, blah, blah. It's all these things to the thing with the press release. Say what it is, let them respond the way that they're going to. Because the truth is, mm, probably the vast percentage of the time, it doesn't matter how much manipulation and control you attempt, it doesn't actually work. Now look, I'm not gonna tell you that press releases are the most effective strategy for booking podcast interviews, but, It's a direct and honest one. The best way to approach cold pitching is by never sending a cold pitch. If you want to connect with a podcaster you don't know, or anyone you don't know for that matter, connect with them. After all, people are shockingly easy to reach today. A few good comments, an absolutely for real compliment, or even quoting someone in an article or post goes a long way to making your pitch a warm one. Can 
Can I go to the bathroom real fast? Sure. Well, we can be done. We can be done. So yeah, I mean, that's like, ultimately, I think that that's like, what are, where are we getting with this? What are, why are we talking about cold pitches right now, Tara? What's the deal? I'm going to put that what down. What do you mean? So if we had any like parting words for the people who are listening to this, I mean, why have, why are we talking about cold pitches right now? Are you, what are you trying to get me to say? Sorry, I'm looking for a clean way to end this. You're going to do oh, a bunch we don't, of, Yeah, we don't need a clean way. But I write I write the clean way to end it. Okay, cool. Uh, and we'll see this. So You've been listening to Cold Pitch, a project of Yellow House Media that explores media, curiosity, and identity. Now, is Cold Pitch a newsletter? A podcast? A performance art project? Well, we don't quite know what this thing is yet, and that's kind of the point. What can we create if we drop the constraints of any one medium and give ourselves a much, much bigger toolkit? That's Cold Pitch. You can find us on Substack at coldpitch.substack.com or learn more about our audio production agency, Yellow House Media, at yellowhouse.media. You can also find my other media project, What Works, at whatworks.fyi. And you can find out more about Sean's coaching at seandmcmullen.com. Cold Pitch is a production of Yellow House Media. Today's piece was hosted by Sean McMullen and me, Tara McMullen. I also wrote and edited today's episode. Our team includes Lou Blazer, Emily Kilduff, and Marty Seafelt. We live and work on the stolen land of the Susquehannock and Conestoga peoples. And the Yellow House is located on the unceded territory of the Katunaha Nation and the tribes of the Salish and Kalispell. <laughs>